0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I recently heard there's a new Disney Pixar movie that's going to be uh, coming out in 2020, and it's titled Soul. And as you can probably guess, it caught my attention. And so I did a little bit of digging on this, and I, I learned an interesting fact. Disney Pixar will be trying to teach children about reincarnation. Now, how can that be, right? I mean, it's a children's movie. But listen to what the Wikipedia article says about the premise of the movie, and this is a direct quote. Joe Gardner, a middle school music teacher, has long dreamed of performing jazz music on stage and finally gets a chance after impressing other jazz musicians during an opening act at the Half Note Club. However, during an accident caused Gardner's soul to be separated from his body which is a very clever way to say he died, and transported to the U Seminar, a center in which souls develop and gain passions before being transported to a, get this, newborn child. And Gardner must work with souls in training, such as 22, a soul with a dim view on life after being trapped for years at the U Seminar in order to return to earth before it's too late, end quote. Yes, this is a kid's movie. I can tell you with certainty we will not be showing this movie at any South Shore Trinity movie nights anytime soon because it doesn't teach good theology, right? In fact, it does the exact opposite. It teaches bad theology, very incorrect theology about who God is and what happens to our souls after death, but sadly many kids will watch this and Just think that's how the soul works. That is, if they believe in a soul at all. And unsuspecting parents will take their kids to see this movie, thinking all will be fine because it's the next big thing put out by Disney Pixar. Now it's possible, and I hope this is the case, but it's it's possible this could become a teaching moment in some Christian families, but I'm more worried about non-Christian families who don't have a good understanding of the afterlife. No doubt a movie like this will move people further away from God and not closer. But this isn't a new problem. In fact, in our, our New Testament reading today from Luke chapter 20, we hear about Jesus talking to a group of people who also don't have a good understanding of the afterlife. These people are called Sadducees, and they are a prevalent sect of Judaism during the time of Jesus. Jesus. But it can be hard to understand what's going on here with Jesus talking to the Sadducees in Luke chapter 20, if you just kind of pull it out of context. So, so let me set the stage for you a little bit here. In Luke chapter 19, just one chapter earlier, you have the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before uh, Jesus is crucified on the cross. And so Jesus, he, he comes into the city, he weeps over Jerusalem, and then he goes into the temple and he kicks everyone out calling them robbers, right? This is a den of robbers, not a house of prayer. And he goes on then to teach in the temple daily. As you can imagine, this makes everyone pretty upset, especially the people who are in charge. In Luke chapter 19, verses 47 and 48, it says, the chief priests, the scribes, and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, referring to Jesus, but they did not find anything they could do where all the people were hanging on his words. Jesus' teaching in the temple goes on for a few days, and, and his lessons are recorded in chapter 20, 21, 22, until there's a major development in the passion narrative, the entering of Satan into Judas called Iscariot, which was just before the Passover was to happen on that Thursday evening. And so it's during this time in the temple that Jesus is teaching and conversing with the people that we have our lesson for today. And we find Jesus talking to some Sadducees about the resurrection. Now the Sadducees are a powerful group of Jewish leaders. Though they are smaller in number than the Pharisees, they have more wealth and more power. And they got along much easier with and were much more accommodating to the Roman powers who were over Jerusalem at the time. But there's an interesting note about them I found in my self-study Bible. It says, these Jews held to the law of Moses, but did not accept the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. They did not believe in the resurrection, in angels, or in spirits. They also did not long for a Messiah the way other Jewish groups did. In short, they had a rather secular view of the world, and they liked things the way they were. And were quite happy to not upset the apple cart. Which is why they weren't big fans of Jesus. And so they go and they question Jesus in the temple. Trying to to trick him into saying something they could use against him in court. And so they bring up this extreme example of a woman having multiple husbands. When everyone is resurrected in in an attempt to make the resurrection look ridiculous. But Jesus responds giving a glimpse into what life will look like after the resurrection. And he's basically saying to them something to this effect. Not only do you not have all the necessary information, but quite frankly, you're focusing on the wrong things. He accuses them, in a sense, of trying to understand God from human eyes and trying to make God fit their logic. And that can be us sometimes, too, can't it? Now, unlike the Sadducees, we we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We, We confess it weekly in our creeds. But we can still be like the Sadducees in that we try to conform God to how we think. We try to make God fit into how we see the world. We demand God to fit our view of justice to be what we want it to be. When in reality, we too don't have all the necessary information to understand the world the way that God understands the world. Because it's way more complicated than we could possibly imagine. To understand the world like God does is like trying to understand how someone can look at all the different sides of a sphere all at the same time. To understand God's ability to know everything is like being able to keep count of all the hair on your head at any given time. Now, for some of us, that number has gone down drastically over the years, so it might be a little easier for you. But it's still a number that God has memorized for all of us at every day of our life. But when it comes to justice, or to human suffering, or or great sadness, or dealing with a problem that God seems to be ignoring... We still try to make God fit our logic, our understanding, our view of fairness. But instead, we must remember that God is bigger than all of that. And that his timing and his ability to act is, is far greater than our limited logic and understanding can be. God is so much bigger than the little boxes we try to put him in. In our sinfulness, we limit who God is, and what God can do. We must remember that God is bigger than all of it, which means God is even bigger and stronger than death. The Sadducees didn't believe that. They had a very limited view and understanding of God and who he is and what he promises to do. One resource I found while preparing for the sermon said that According to Josephus, a Jewish historian who died about 100 years after Jesus, the Sadducees believed in the following. And some we agree with, a lot we don't. Uh, One, they said there is no fate. God does not commit evil. Man has free will. Man has the free choice of good and evil. The soul is not immortal. There is no afterlife. There is no reward or penalty after death. And as I mentioned earlier, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, but instead they believed in the traditional concept of Sheol for those who had died. Just a point of clarification here, Sheol is also known as a place of darkness to which uh, the dead go. I've also heard it referred to as the land of the shadows. And to get an idea of what this kind of place is, it's a place far away from God, and some would even say it's like hell, or like Hades, or just plain old nothingness. To them, it certainly wasn't a place that people came back from. They understood Scripture to say that if you're dead, that's it. Game over. There is nothing else. But Jesus teaches these Sadducees, and he uses Scripture to make his very important point that God is the God of the living. Now, if I were Jesus... I would have talked about how I had raised people from the dead during my ministry and asked them to refute a resurrection of the dead based on that. But I'm not Jesus. And he does exactly what he's supposed to do here. And he uses the book of Exodus, specifically chapter 3, to do this. Jesus says that God himself commanded Moses to call the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and this is the point that Jesus is trying to make only living people can have a god Jesus goes on to say in very clear terms in Luke 20:38 that God is not the god of the dead but of the living for all live to him and this shut the pharisees up as Luke records for they no longer dared to ask Jesus any questions it's good to know when you've been beat Because from their point of view, if someone should know about the nature of God, it's Moses. They hold him as an authority. And Jesus uses Moses to teach. And we can all be thankful that Moses had been taught some good theology. Moses was someone who had learned straight from the source what good theology looks like. He was taught the very nature of God. He was taught that God is someone who doesn't turn his back on those who suffer. And God is someone who does something about it. For Moses, that was evident in his call from the burning bush. He was called to serve God, to go and to spread the news of who God is, both to those who suffered or who were suffering and those who were causing the suffering. But before he went, Moses asked God what his name was. Now, personally, I think this was a rather bold move of him. Jacob whose name was later changed to Israel. He had wrestled with God, as recorded in Genesis 32. He also asked God what his name was. But he was not given an answer. But this time with Moses. Moses was given the answer. In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And in the very next verse, God uses the name Yahweh, which is in our Bible often rendered as Lord in all caps. And so Moses went back to Egypt to play his part in the liberation, the deliverance of the Jewish people. And when he did, he he bore the name of God, bringing it back to the people whose very existence was the definition of suffering. Moses also went to Pharaoh, and he delivered the message to let, uh, to let God's people go. But sadly, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God went on to send the ten plagues. And that's all great for Moses, right? To be given God's name and to go do the work that he had been called to do. But what about us? Well, we too have been given the name of God, which we invoke, call upon our God to be present with us every Sunday. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the name you hear spoken from this pulpit the most isn't Yahweh. It's not even the triune God half the time. But the name you hear the most is Jesus. By which name you are saved. Because that's exactly what Jesus' name means. Jesus' name is actually one from Hebrew. And if you look at the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament from about 130 years before Jesus... Uh, the name used for Joshua in the Old Testament Greek is the same name used for Jesus when, when rendered in Greek. Yeah, Jesus' name is also Joshua. And it's a combination of, of two words. I'm going to teach you some Hebrew here. So this is Yehoshua or Yeheshua in Hebrew, and it means Joshua. And it's the combination of two words here. Uh, so you've got the two words. You've got Yahweh, and you've got Yeshah. So, the right-hand side is Yahweh, and then the, the green part is y- uh, what is it? Yeshah, that's it. A little rusty in my Hebrew here. Yeshah, and it means Yahweh saves. That, that's what Jesus' name means. Notice, too, the meaning of Jesus' name is exactly what uh, God does with Moses, right? The Lord saves. Yahweh saves. I am saves as explained to Moses how he's going to save and deliver his people. And Jesus does the exact same thing. And like Moses, we also bear the name of God. We bear the name of Jesus who's called us to go, to go and bear his name to people we meet, to people we talk to, wherever we go. And we're given the name of Jesus to bear in our baptisms. And that also means that we bear the consequences, both the good and the bad. The bad consequences being persecution and hatred because of who Jesus is. But also we bear the good consequences, which is a life of peace, of forgiveness, and of divine love. You see, when you were baptized, we were connected, all of us were, to what Jesus did for us. We're connected to his life, his death, and most importantly, his resurrection by the waters of baptism through which God works faith in our hearts. And by that, we are made alive. After after the drowning of the old Adam, after the killing of the sinful self, we are raised to new life, a new life in God. We too carry the name of the God of the living, the God who makes us alive because we've been made alive by the gospel. This living God, the God of the living, has done and continues to do amazing things in your life and in mine. But remember how I said Moses was taught that God is someone who doesn't turn his back on those who suffer and and God is someone who does something about it? Well, the same is also true for us. God doesn't turn his back on us. And he did, in fact, do something about our suffering. What he did is he sent Jesus to die in our place, to take on the suffering that we deserve on account of our sin. And he earned for us forgiveness instead. And after Jesus was killed on the cross, he was placed in the tomb, and then he was resurrected. He was brought back to life the same way we, too, will one day be brought back to life. And so as you continue your Christian walk on a Monday morning, I want you to think about what does it mean to bear God's name in my life as you serve the God of the living, the God who makes you alive. Amen.